to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. Good evening, everyone. My name is Timothy, if I had not met you, and I'll be doing the first Bible reading for this evening. First reading comes from, well, it starts in Isaiah 52, verse 13, and then we'll read all of chapter 53. And if you've got a pew Bible, you find that on page 731, which is interesting because this is actually the 731st chapter of the Bible. That's actually a complete lie. Don't, don't believe that at all. Anyway, we're starting at Isaiah 52, verse 13, and we'll go all the way through chapter 53. C. My servant will act wisely. He'll be raised up and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled by him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man and his form marred beyond human likeness. So he will sprinkle many nations and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see. And what they have not heard, they will understand. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. For he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us, peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the the transgression of my people he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked, and with the rich in his death, Though he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many and he will bear the iniquities bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give them a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made an intercession for the transgressors. Hi, I'm Lemuel. I'm going to do the second reading. Um, I don't have a lie to tell you because lying makes baby Jesus cry. Tim. Um, second reading is from uh, Romans chapter 8, uh, verses 28. We're going to read 2 39. 
And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as a sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. That is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Well, hi everyone. Let me begin by praying. Father God, we thank you and praise you for your word and we thank you for this particular passage from Romans chapter 8. And we pray that as we look at it together tonight, you would help us understand it more, that, it would, that we would be people who uh, let it sink deep into our lives, that our lives might be transformed by your word and by your spirit. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to start this evening by exploring a question. How do you face the future with confidence? How do you face the future with confidence? Now, as I've talked to a lot of people over the years, it seems to me that people often answer this question from their own experience. So, for example, if you've grown up in a a great home where family relationships are pretty okay, your sister's annoying, but things are actually okay. If you've grown up with a, a good education, you've gone to a, a, a great school, you kind of got through that, and perhaps you've been to a good university. And generally speaking, life has not been too bad. Your answer to this question is, well, I can face life with confidence because actually life has been pretty good to me. And I'm pretty confident about life. It's, I've done all these things and things have worked out pretty well and so I can face the future with confidence. Of course there's some other people who also reflect on their experiences and perhaps their experiences haven't been so rosy. Uh, Perhaps their uh, experiences have been ones in which things have been pretty tough. Family's been difficult, education's been difficult, finding money's been difficult, finding somewhere to live's been difficult. Relationships have broken. And yet, in the midst of all of that, they've somehow made it. And so, as they reflect on their experience, they say, I can face the future with confidence because, well, I've already made it so far. Like, I've been pretty tough. I've been able to approach lots of things in my life and and make a difference. Of course, actually, there's another group of people, isn't there? Another group of people who who look at the future and say, actually, I I can't face it with confidence. Um, Life has been 
pretty terrible to me and I'm not sure about the future. I'm pretty uncertain. I, 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 I'm not quite sure how I'll go about living out the future. It's a bit of a struggle, to be honest. Now, this reference to our experience obviously is real and important, and we do learn things from our experiences in life. But it's actually not the way the Bible primarily approaches being confident about the future. In fact, the Bible approaches being confident about the future in a radically different way. And it asks us to bring its understanding of this world to our experiences, to our future, and to look at our future and our experiences through a particular framework, through a particular way of thinking. Over the last few weeks, we have been looking at Romans chapter 5 through 8. We come to the end of the series tonight, and Paul wants to speak to us, and he wants to talk about our futures, and he wants us to be confident about our futures, to bring our confidence to everything that we will face in the future. And what we discover in this passage is that confidence about the future is a gift to be received. It's not something we can build ourselves. It's not something that we can do ourselves. It's actually a gift to be received. And if we look at our experiences and our understanding of this world in a particular way and come to a deep knowledge of what God is doing, then the way we approach the experiences of life will be quite different. If you turn with me to the passage in Romans chapter 8, you'll notice there in verse 31, it has these words. What then shall we say in response to this? Now that little verse there kind of acts as a hinge in our passage and you're left with the question, well, what goes before and what comes afterwards? What shall we say in response to this? Well, the response to this is a response to two realities. What are the two realities? And then how does that look in terms of the implications? And we're going to talk about three implications as a result of those two realities. Now, in some ways, what we're doing is summarising some of the things that we've been speaking about over the last few weeks. So what are the two realities that Paul has been speaking about over the last few weeks? Well, the first one is that we live in a world that is completely broken. Uh, Paul's pointed out that in terms of individuals. Uh, So, for example, as we've thought about individuals, we've thought about people who do not worship God, who do not worship their creator. And therefore, as a result of not worshipping their creator, they have become slaves to sin. You might remember this passage from Romans chapter 6. Those who do not worship God offer the parts of their body to slavery, to impurity, to ever-increasing wickedness. The biblical view of this world is that if we don't offer ourselves to God, we offer ourselves to something else. We're slaves to something else. And actually the trajectory is ever-increasing wickedness. That's the biblical account of us as humans. We also noticed actually another interesting point in Romans chapter 7. That even those who seek to worship God and try and live up to his standards and try as they might to, to live as God wanted them to will often fail. See what it says here? 
For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work within the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner. Hear that sign of slavery language again? Of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am who will rescue me from this body of death. And so we notice that for for others who perhaps haven't turned away from God in the same way, there's this struggle going on, this inward struggle about trying to live up to God's standards and not reaching those standards in any way. Or even the standards we set for ourselves. We live in a broken world. Last week we noticed though, that this broken world not only affects us as individuals, as people, it also affects the world around us. In Romans chapter 8, verses 20 and 22, we notice these things. For the creation was subject to frustration. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up until the present time. We live in a broken world. And it's really important to get our heads around the idea that we live in a broken world. We will experience its brokenness. We will experience its brokenness in our relationships with one another. We will experience its brokenness internally. We will experience its brokenness in relation to the physical world around us. That is our reality. That is the way our world is. We will experience. Do you think about it? We read that passage from Isaiah 53. Jesus experienced its brokenness to the point of death. The Bible never says we will not experience the brokenness of this world. we will experience the brokenness. Now, in some ways, actually, that's quite useful to know because we will find ourselves in positions at times of life where we are suffering, where we feel like we're the only person experiencing this particular form of suffering, where we feel like no one else may be in the same position, where we feel like somehow we're isolated. But the reality is Our world is a broken world. And all those around us will experience its brokenness to different levels and different degrees. And so actually, we're in this brokenness together. It means that when we're experiencing suffering or grief or difficulty, and that thought enters our mind... Maybe God is not here. We need to think again. Because remember, Jesus experienced this brokenness and suffering. And God was there. This is how it works. We need to get a grip. We need to understand this world is a broken place. And actually, we will experience some of that suffering. The second reality we need to get a hang of is something else which is really wonderful. And that is that God has entered into this world. You might remember those wonderful words in 
Romans chapter 5, verse 1, which said this, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. God has reached out to us in this broken world and he calls us to himself. He calls us to himself. And so we go on to read in passages like Romans chapter 8, verses 16 and 17. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. We are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. That is just extraordinary news, isn't it? In the midst of our brokenness, God calls out to us and in the death of his son, he reaches out to us, embraces us, calls us to himself and calls us sons and daughters. That that is part of God's plan is then confirmed in Romans 8, chapters in verses 29 to 30. For those God foreknew, he has predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justifies. Those he justified, he glorified. God has a purpose and a plan to call a people to himself. In the midst of this brokenness, he is calling a people to himself. He's doing something. He's acting in this difficult and broken world. We are no longer slaves. We are made free. But it's not only us that are being made free. Listen to what also Romans 8 has said. Creation itself will be liberated from bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. There is just a beautiful hope here. A beautiful hope for our broken and divided world found in what Jesus has done in his death and resurrection. And it's those two things which we are to hold together, those two realities that we are to hold together as we come to verse 31. What then shall we say in response to this? Knowing those two realities, knowing that we live in a broken and divided world, knowing that God has reached out to us in his son and called us to himself and that he's redeeming this world, what are the three implications of that? What are the three things that Paul says to us at this particular point? Well, he continues. You might see there in verse 31. If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? See, God has been operating in history down through time. He sent his son to die in our place. And he is for us. That's how for us he is. God is for us. So much so that he did not spare his own son, 
but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Now just a note of caution here. This is not God saying, I'll give everything you want on your, you everything you want on your wish list. <laughs> you know, by the way, if you've got this wish list, I'll fulfill all those things. Actually, earlier on you see that actually God's committed to us being conformed to the likeness of Christ. That's what he's committed to. That's his purpose. And so for, therefore, we need to be careful how we read this graciously all things. But notice, God is for us who can be against us. Now, sometimes we need to preach this to ourselves, I think. Sometimes when we find ourselves in the difficulty of life, when we find ourselves facing difficulties, uh, wherever it be, actually, we need to preach this to ourselves. Sometimes, uh, for example, when husbands come home from work and they're not particularly attentive to their wives... They need to say, actually, God is for me. He will give me strength to speak with my wife, to support her, to care for her, to love her. Wives need to hear this message too. Wives, God is for you. When your husband comes home grumpy and not very responsive and kind of preoccupied with other things, no. That God is for you. Of course, God is for us in all kinds of circumstances and in all kinds of different places. When you come home to your share home and you walk in the door and you feel like you've got to climb Mount Everest, the dishes are in the sink, there's nothing in the fridge, there's a party going on, and all you want to do is just sleep. And you're fed up with the people you're living with. And you think, they've done it again. I can't stand this. At that moment, preach to your heart, God is for you. He's for you. If you go home at night and you live by yourself, and you've come home from a hard day, and you think, oh, I've got to cook. Somehow I've got to get the bills paid. There's the parents to visit and the relatives to deal with and those friends who are chasing me. And really, I just want to curl up on the lounge and ignore everybody. Preach to yourself. God is for you. Who can be against you? Now, it's not saying that people won't be against us. Of course it's not saying that. We will strike people who are against us in our workplace, amongst our friends, amongst our families. But the reality is, God is for us. The God who has been working throughout history is for you in this broken and divided world. And the proof is, he sent his own son. He did not spare his own son for you. That is how for you he is. But that's not the end of the good news. The good news continues. God justifies us. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? Is it God who justifies? 
Who is he that condemns? Sometimes we live with condemnation. Sometimes it's our own condemnation, isn't it? We've done something in our lives, we've behaved in a particular way and the tape keeps playing in our heads over and over again. We hear, you are condemned, you did the wrong thing. You didn't do the right thing. Or perhaps it's a word from our parents. They've said something at a particular time in our lives and and we continue to hear their voices as we, we go about our lives and we feel condemned. And we feel like, well, actually we're wandering around with this guilt. Or perhaps it's a friend who said something unkind That's actually not true. Or a boss or someone at university who's spoken into our lives and brought a charge against you. A charge against you which actually is not true in the end. Or a charge actually that might have been true but now is forgiven. God has justified you in the death of his son. Jesus has stood in your place. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no charge against you. You are free of those charges. You have been justified in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You have been justified in the highest court in the universe. The God of the whole universe has said to you, You are not condemned. Do not live as a condemned person. Do not let those voices play in your mind as you come to your experiences in life. Because you have not, you are not condemned. And what's more extraordinary is Paul goes on to say this. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. It's the sense of there is this ongoing interceding on our behalf. It's ongoing that Christ is involved in our lives and involved in ensuring that we no longer are condemned before God. Now I'm not saying here, for example, that we sometimes don't have to live with the consequences of our behaviour. We do. And that can be a hard thing. And I'm not saying here it's easy sometimes to, to get rid of the guilt that's sitting on our backs. I'm not saying that's easy. I'm saying that that can be a real struggle But this is the truth. This is the truth that we need to let sink deep into our lives, into our hearts, into the way we think, in the way we look at our experiences, in the way we come to our suffering and our grief.
And then Paul finishes with this wonderful crescendo about God's love. You might like to come with me uh, to the end of the chapter in verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or the sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Notice what's going on in those verses. There's no pretense here. We live in a broken world. Hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, the sword. This is the reality. You may not face all those things, but you may face some of them. This is the the world we live in. It's broken. But even in the midst of those things, what we are called to do is to recognise to bring to those experiences the fact that God loves us, that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Paul concludes this chapter by saying these words, For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons, neither present nor the future, nor any other powers, neither height or depth, or anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There will be times in our lives when we feel distance from God, when we feel like we're separated, when because of suffering or persecution or the circumstances we find ourselves in, We feel like God is distant from us. This is what we preach to our heart. This is where we come to, not ignoring the difficulty of those circumstances. Of of course not. But actually, this is reality. We may feel distance, and that's understandable. But actually, the truth is, Nothing separates us from the love of God. Absolutely nothing. Neither the present nor the future. That is an extraordinary thing, isn't it? God has reached out, called us to himself, and nothing will separate us from his love. We are the object of God's love. And he continues to love us. He continues to reach out to us. He continues to say, I will be there at every moment. Just in the same way, he was there at every moment. Father was there at every moment as Jesus faced his suffering and death. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. And so you see, in the end, the confidence to face the future, the confidence to look into the future, to go into our experiences and into the things that are difficult, 
doesn't come from what we've experienced because that at times will fail but actually comes from a gift and the gift is the grace of God into our lives the gift is far more certain than any experience we will have the gift is that God is for us that he's reached out to us and called us to himself. The gift is that we are no longer condemned, that God justifies us. The gift is that God loves us, loves us so much that he sent his son to die in our place. Can I invite you tonight, as you think about your experiences and the things that you face in the future, to bring these truths to bear. To bring these things to your experiences. To look at your experiences through these glasses. Through these eyes. Because this is the reality for someone who knows and loves our Lord Jesus Christ. Who has repentance and faith. This is the truth of what is going on. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you and praise you for your word and we thank you for the way that it does speak into our lives. And yet, Father, we hear these words and we're actually even aware at this particular point that we are weak. We are not even strong enough to to receive these words, to, to believe these words. And so, Father, we ask that by your spirit you would work in our lives, that you would give us the strength to have the faith to believe the truth about our world to believe the truth about what you have done on our, on our behalf, to believe the truth that you will not be separated from us because you love us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church Podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au